All right. Well, I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. I hope everyone uh, gained an appropriate amount of weight. <laughs> I think I did. <laughs> I had two Thanksgivings, so I am not complaining. I am full. I might fall asleep up here during the sermon, so if I do, apologize. It's too much. Was it tryptophan in the turkey? So, <laughs> no, so Adam's been out of town, and uh, I'm excited uh, for him coming back. I think uh, he's, he's going to come back super energized, and, and uh, that's going to be super great. I hope you guys welcome him warmly. If, if you welcome him as warmly as you welcome me, I have felt just so welcomed and blessed to be here. I, this has been phenomenal. So thank you guys for being so nice and friendly to me. Um, but he'll be back soon. So while he's been gone, we've been in a series called Real Human Connection, where we are exploring this idea of community and relationships and where it fits in our lives. In the first week, we talked about how we are not made to live alone. We're not made to live life alone, but we increasingly live in a society to where we are alone and we are isolated, but that has negative effects on us. That has negative effects on us emotionally. It also has negative effects on us spiritually, but also physically with our health. Because the truth is, life is better when we live it together. We are made to live together. And it not only enriches our lives, but it's essential to a fulfilling life. In week two, we talked about how that's easier said than done, right? Because community can be hard and relationships can be hard. We've experienced this in our families, in our friendships, even in our churches. It can be difficult at times, but it's worth it. Because if we do it the right way, then it's good. And the right way, I believe, is the way that Jesus says to do it, which is to be a community primarily characterized by love, to be so radically committed to love, to love on such a level, love first and foremost above all things, and loving everyone and welcoming everyone that people know, and it changes us in all situations to ask ourselves, what does love require of me? Does it require me to be patient or kind, or generous, or in this situation, is it to give dignity, or to be selfless, or to be self-controlled, or to give forgiveness? What does love require me in every situation? Last week, we talked about how the thing that unites us is not the, the things that the world might think of. The thing that unites us isn't our religious practices because we see lots of different kinds of religious practices in churches. It's not our culture. It's not our shared interests or our politics because we see lots of different things, but it's this shared worldview with Jesus at the center. This idea that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again. This idea that if it's true, it's so powerful that it transforms our lives and it guides our lives and, it and our community is one centered around this simple idea above all else. And all other things as important as they are are secondary to this thing, Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again. Because if that's true, then God forgives us of our sins and our imperfections. God forgives us of our mistakes. He reunites us with him and gives us the promise of eternal life. This is something that Jesus says about us. Eternal life. Jesus says we are eternal beings. We're not just this. It's not just this. It's not just what we can see and what we can measure. Although we could be tricked into thinking this is all there is. It's not just the things of this world. It's not just the material. No, no, there's something so much more to our existence. We are eternal beings. And Jesus invites us on this journey of following him. 
And it's a journey that sometimes has unexpected turns. Sometimes this path that Jesus has us on, is, it has unexpected blessings. Sometimes unexpected challenges. For example, say you were just a person and you're on your way to work on a Monday morning and it's just a regular work week. It's maybe the Monday after Thanksgiving and you got to get back to work and get back to all the things you haven't, all the emails you haven't answered since, you know, Tuesday afternoon or Wednesday afternoon, depending on when the last you saw. You know, you're just minding your own business and you're just, you get out of your car, walking from the parking lot into your building. Say you're just like this guy. Let's take a look at this. <laughs> Does your life ever feel that way? <laughs> this path that we're trying to follow Jesus on or just trying to navigate through life or sometimes just trying to navigate in church and, you know, does it ever feel that way? I mean, it, it, it's unexpected at times. It's challenging at times. We don't always know what's going to happen. We don't always know what's up next, what, how it's going to be, this thing, life. But I think one thing that I think we do know is that we all want lives that matter. Whatever that journey is, we want the journey to count. We want our lives to count for something. We want to do something that matters with our lives. I think we all deep down have this desire. I think that's what drives our ambition. I think that's what drives us to, 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 to succeed, to pursue achievements. That's what drives us to set big goals and accomplish big things. Is we want to matter. We don't want our lives to just be invisible. We don't want, you know, we, we're born and then we die and the world never knew. We don't want that. We want something in some way. And that's good. I think that's God-given. But some of the things that we pursue, some of the things that we pursue for significance or achievement, not everything we pursue is really significant. Not everything that we pursue really fulfills us or is even really meaningful at times. You know, we talked about that uh, a few weeks back, if you were here with us, we talked about Jim Carrey, who said, I wish everyone could be, uh, what was it, like rich and famous so that you, you, you would know that it's not the answer to anything. You know, it's interesting, all of these super successful people that we continue to see, not all, but, but many who kind of have the same sentiments, like, you know what, it's not necessarily uncommon to accomplish our goals and to achieve what we set out to achieve and yet still not be fulfilled. There was this interview with Tom Brady um, that he did with uh, 60 Minutes. This was a few Super Bowls ago. Um, but they asked him about this because they're like, hey, man, you're, you're a big deal. And so what are your thoughts on this? Take a look at this video. That's crazy to me. I mean, that's echoed in one of the most famous people in the entire Bible. One of the most accomplished, successful people in the entire Bible. A man who is still known, 3,000 years later, who is still known today. He wrote in his journal, this, this, this uh, uh, philosopher King Solomon, who was known as the wealthiest person who, have ever, who has ever lived, the wisest person who has ever lived. And if you read about well, his, his life in the Old Testament, you realize he indulged in all that there was, he had all of the worldly pleasures. This man had everything. And when he was writing about what it means to to live a great life. Here's what he wrote. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. 
All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Yikes. I mean, that's rough stuff right there. If this guy says that, then what chance do any of us have? This word meaningless that he uses, it's sometimes translated as vanity. If you, if you might be familiar with other translations, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. It's this idea that means vapor. It's kind of like, like when you spray a spray bottle. That's life. That's what we do. That's the things of this world. All that we are and all that we do in the world is just a mist. And here's the thing. So many people have experienced this and so many people have felt this. And the world still does not have an answer to this. The world has no solution to this. I mean, these words are true 3,000 years ago, just as true as they are today. The things of this world are ultimately meaningless. And Solomon would know he had everything. He indulged in everything. He had education and wisdom and knowledge and pleasure and wealth and possessions and respect and accomplishments and prestige. Centuries later, Jesus reflects this idea when he is teaching his close followers, his friends and followers, and he is starting this new community that is going to change the world. And he's teaching them what it means to live in this community. And he says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, Jesus challenges this notion. Jesus challenges this notion that you will find a meaning in the things of this world. Jesus challenges this notion that we can focus on, on ourselves and lift up ourselves. He says, I want you to think in a new way. Think different than the rest of the world. This community of mine will be a community that does not look like the rest of the world and doesn't pursue the things that the rest of the world pursues. No, no, no. We know better. We know. that. I mean, think back to what Jesus says. What is the greatest commandment, if you were here a couple weeks ago, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as yourselves? He says the entire scriptures hang on these. Some translations say the entire scriptures are summarized by this. Love God with everything and to love others as yourselves. That is the whole thing. See, Jesus challenges us to think with an eternal perspective, to not just invest in the things of this world, to not just, because if we do that, then we, we, we fail. We fail to find fulfillment. We fail to find meaning or greatness. But if we invest in things that are eternal, that's where we find fulfillment and meaning. And Jesus' followers struggled with this idea because Jesus, I mean, you got to think about it. With his life, he taught them for three years, right? Jesus did not travel around the world. He traveled within only a few miles of where he was born. So these guys that he's with, these people, there are men and women there with him, this small little community, he's saying, 
this community that I'm building here, this is going to go change the world. So you guys got to get this. You guys got to understand this. And they didn't. They struggled with it because this is so against what everything else in the world tells us. This is so against how we fought from, from day one. This is against how everyone else is. This doesn't make any sense. So it's a struggle. What, what are you talking about? Don't store. We, we got to be responsible. We have to be good stewards of what, you know, all of that stuff makes sense. And Jesus is saying something different now. And he says this when he's trying to explain what it means to be, and he would sometimes call it the kingdom of God this community or the church. He would sometimes say church, sometimes say kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. And he was explaining, here, let me explain to you what that means. Let me try to help you in a way that you understand. He says this, or this is something that's recorded, this conversation. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, so two of his apostles, two of his, his, his main followers, they came to him and said, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Like, can you imagine, if you have kids, can you imagine if your kids came up and said that? Like for Christmas, right? It's like, what do you want for Christmas? Will you give me whatever I ask for? No. <laughs> what are you about to ask for? Tell me what it is first before I agree to this, right? No. We want you to give us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. See, they knew what was going on. They believed that Jesus was who he says he is. Jesus is not just some guy. No, no, no. Jesus is divine. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. And this community that he's building is, gonna, is about to change the world. And these guys, they're not quite there yet. They're like, hey, we want to be a big deal too. I want to be up front. I want to be at the top with you. I want to be sitting right next to you. I'm going to be in all the paintings. I'm going to be in all of the, the pictures, you know what I mean? I want to be on this, the, all the chapel ceilings, you know. I want to be right there with you. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. So the other apostles, they got upset. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers to the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, this community is different than others. This is an upside down kingdom that Jesus is talking about. This is a kingdom of, of a world. The world thinks it's nonsense. What are you talking about? If you want to be great, if you want to do something meaningful, if you want to invest your life in something that matters, then love God and love others and serve each other. Can you imagine a community like that where we are so committed to being humble and serving each other to flip this idea upside down that this is not a community where we're focused focusing on self, because that community won't last. If I'm just here to, for me, what do I get out of this church? What did I get out of this church uh, service on Sunday morning? I didn't get much out of it. No, 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 no. Jesus says that thinking doesn't last. That's what everybody else is. What other communities are still around from 2,000 years ago? Not many, but the one Jesus started is still here, because this is a community that lasts. This is a community that makes a difference in people's lives and makes a difference in the world. Not focused on self, but focused on others. Not focused on getting, 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 but what do I give? What am I adding to my community? The best life. 
is to give your life away. It's better to give than to receive. Jesus calls us to come together for a purpose greater than ourselves. To come together to serve a mission and serve a purpose that's better than just ourselves. He invites us to be a part of a community that's investing in eternal things. We're investing in people's lives. We're investing in our relationship with our creator and on how that changes us. We're investing in, 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 in making the world a better place. This is a community where we can find our purpose and we can live meaningful lives because it's a community with a mission. This isn't just a country club to get together and to make me feel good. No, 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 no. Jesus is inviting us to be a part of his family, to be a part of his kingdom. And this is a kingdom on the march. This is a kingdom that is here to do something in the world, to make a difference in the world, to love God and to love others. This message that Jesus brings to us, this message like, hey, man, you know how you're a sinner? Everybody on the planet knows that. Everybody knows that we're sinners. We all know that. And Jesus said, every other religion in the world, this is amazing, every religion in the world, their message is this is what you do to earn your way into heaven. Jesus' message, he came along and he says, I'm doing it. Jesus dies on the cross for our sins and gives us a free gift of complete forgiveness. That whoever would accept that gift, whoever would believe in him, would have the gift of eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And then he invites us on this journey that changes us, and it changes the people around us. And together, it changes the world. That's what he's inviting us to be a part of. We can't do that if we're focused on ourselves. He invites us to grow closer with together and to grow closer to him. And here, he, he explains this again because they, they had a lot of trouble with this. And he pushes the idea a little further. He tells this parable, this, this story that's like a regular, ordinary, everyday story, but it has a deeper meaning. And he says this, the kingdom is also like what happened when a man went away and put his three servants in charge of all he owned. The man knew what each servant could do. So he handed 5,000 coins to the first servant, 2,000 to the second, and 1,000 to the third. Then he left the country. Sometime later, the master of those servants returned. He called them in and asked what they had done with his money. The servant who had been given 5,000 coins brought them in with the 5,000 that he had earned. He said, sir, you gave me 5,000 coins and I have earned 5,000 more. Wonderful, his master replied. You are a good and faithful servant. I left you in charge of only a little, but now I will put you in charge of much more. Come and share in my happiness. Next, the servant who had been given 2,000 coins came in and said, sir, you gave me 2,000 coins and I have earned 2,000 more. Wonderful, his master replied. You are a good and faithful servant. I left you in charge of only a little, but now I will put you in charge of much more. Come and share in my happiness. The servant who had been given 1,000 coins then came in and said, Sir, I know that you are hard to get along with. Okay, already you're starting off wrong, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, geez, what's he going to say? <laughs> you harvest what you don't plant and gather crops where you haven't scattered seed. I was frightened and went out and hid your money in the ground. Here's every single coin. Probably thinking he's good about it, right? I didn't lose anything. The master of the servant told him, you are lazy and good for nothing. 
You know that I harvest what I don't plant and gather crops where I haven't scattered seed. You could have at least put my money in the bank so that I could have earned interest on it. This is a story that Jesus tells the apostles. It gives us this idea that, that it's like, let me impress upon you how serious God is with what he has given you. Like, that's my takeaway from this. Like, Jesus is saying, do you understand what this is? Do you understand what we're talking about here? This thing, these things that God has given us, he invites us into his kingdom and he has given us, he's given us life. He's given us this time that we have on this earth. He's given us his grace. You've given, been given a free gift of complete forgiveness. What are you doing with that? He's been giving us resources. He's been giving us opportunities. And then Jesus asks us, what have you done with what I've given you? What did you do with your skills and your talents and your abilities? What did you do with your time? I mean, he, he really gives us this idea that it's not okay to do nothing. In this kingdom, in this community, it's not okay to do nothing. No, no, no. This is a community where we are all called to do something. This is not a passive experience. This is, this is not a, a kingdom where we can just do nothing. And it's not about earning salvation. You see, this is not about like, you need to do something because that makes God love you and you can get into heaven. No, no, no. He's, he's very clear on that. That's not what this is about. No, this is about being responsible with what God has given us. This is about inviting us into his kingdom. It's like, well, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, this is what my kingdom's all about. We're doing something. This grace that we've been given, if it's true, if Jesus is who he says he is, if it's true that we are offered a free gift of complete forgiveness, if it's true that we can be reunited with our creator, that we can have eternal life. If that's true, what are we doing with that? Are we just holding that in like this for ourselves? Jesus says this. One of the last things he ever said to his apostles. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus calls us to follow him and to be a community that helps others follow him. Jesus calls us to be a community of disciples who make disciples. He's calling us to make disciples. He's calling us to help others reconnect with God and find new life just as we have. If I have found new life, if Jesus has changed my life, then he is calling me to help others also experience that, to help others also to point the way so that they too can experience that. If this is true, then we have to make disciples. And this is for everyone. This is not the pastors he's talking to. This is, every, this is a whole crowd. This is the last time he sees these people. It's a big crowd gathered before he ascends to heaven. He's not talking to pastors here. He's talking to apostles. He's talking to men and women. He's talking to adults and kids. He's talking to everybody here. This idea, you know, because here, let me, let me just clarify. So when Adam gets back, because you guys will know, what Adam's job is when he gets back next week? The Apostle Paul tells us when he was writing to the Christians in Ephesus, because they were really struggling with how to do this ministry. How, what am I supposed to do? What is my job here? How can I do something that makes a difference? And he says this, so Christ himself gave the apostles, 
the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Okay, so Christ himself gave church leaders. That's what he's saying. Okay, why? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Adam's job is to equip God's people for works of service. And this word service in the original Greek, works of service, it's the exact same word as ministry. There's no difference. It's the exact same word. Just sometimes it's translated ministry, sometimes it's translated service, and there's no reason why it's translated different like that. But it's the same word in the original Greek. So the way Jesus was saying it is that the church leaders are here to equip God's people to do ministry. Man, this is a kingdom. This is a community where we are all called to do ministry. We are all called to invest in the eternal. We are all called uh, to help others, to, to make disciples. And maybe some of us are used to a church. Maybe, maybe you, you've had that experience. I knew that. I remember that. When I grew up as a kid, you know, I went to a church where the, my church experience was I walked in as like a normal kid and I sat in the chair and there was some person up front on stage and they did the religious stuff and they did the holy stuff, the spiritual stuff. And I received that and I just kind of sat in passive and they did that and I watched. But that's not the community that Jesus is building. That's not the community that Jesus invites us to. See, in the early church, in the first several hundred years of the church, you know that period of time where Jesus' community changed this planet to never be the same again? During those years, there was no distinction between clergy and laity. In fact, there was no words for that. There was no such thing as a, oh, this is a clergy. There was no such thing as being ordained. There's nothing like that. No, he calls us to use our gifts according to our giftedness. Peter, Jesus' closest friend, calls the, the community of Christians, all of us, we are a royal priesthood. When God adopts us into his family, he's calling us to action, to use our gifts according to our giftedness. When this works, it's beautiful. When we do this, it's something to see. There's a reason why our community has been around for 2,000 years. Because when we get this right, it is really fun to be a part of. When we get this right, it brings us together. When we get this right, it makes a difference in our lives. And it is meaningful and fulfilling. The Apostle Paul described it like this. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for the reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. This is him describing this, this, our community. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. 
And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you all, plural, now y'all, (laughs) now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it we are together in purpose we're together in our faith and we're together in life we're together in love and Jesus calls us to be united in purpose to come together as one body made up of different parts with different skill sets and different giftedness and different abilities and different expressions, but come together with no divisions as one body. When we come together and we link arms in purpose, it builds us into a greater community and it grows us closer together. That's a question I think of if I think, like, I don't feel connected to the church. Are we doing anything together? See, here's what I think, like, we can use more men's influence in the church. Not that I think there's anything wrong with women. Obviously, I married one. I, I love women. So, <laughs> but you think of the way that women relate. You know, women tend to relate. Like, we can get into a room and get our chairs in a circle, and women just are equipped to just connect over that, right? Where men oftentimes have a hard time connecting in that way. You know how men connect? It's not like in a circle face-to-face. It's said that men connect side-by-side. You know what really brings men together is a shared goal. It's a shared work. That's what brings men together. And I think the church needs to learn that lesson. Man, if you feel disconnected, what are you are you working alongside your your brothers and sisters in Christ then? Because that will that will grow you closer to people. When we're working alongside each other, you're rolling up our sleeves, we're in the trenches together. You ever gone into the kids ministry? You come out like a squad from like World War II, you know, like you come out, we survived, you know. <laughs> Sometimes it can be like that depending on what kids are in there. So my kids are in there today, so you, good luck. So, <laughs> but, but no, I mean, he's calling us to link arms, to come together, the, 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 to be a part of something that matters, that's making a difference, to be a part of something that's changing individuals and changing the world. That's where we find our, our purpose. You, you kind of find what part of the body you are. What am I good at? What do I enjoy? I've tried different things. I've been in the kids' area. Okay, well, I'm not good at that. I don't like that. That's not for me. You know, well, I've been with the teenagers. Well, I've been, I led a small group or where I I served, you know, I set up the decorations in here or I played in the band or I did announcements or whatever it could be where I brought food for the the cafe in the morning or, or I served alongside my church and we did these blessing bags. I mean, what could that thing be? Because you find it. And when you put yourself out there, when you're committed to this idea, hey, man, Jesus has called me to action, so I need to find out what action I need to be doing. I'm a part of this kingdom, and this is a kingdom that's been around for a lot longer than I am, than I have, and it's been doing stuff, so i got to be a part of it. What's my part in this kingdom? And you go out there, and you find it. I mean, talk to Adam about that. Adam, you know what? I feel like I should do something. I don't know what to do. You say that to him. Oh, he'll find you something to do. <laughs> he will connect you. He'll like, well, let me help you find that. That's what pastors love to hear, right? It's like, well, let me help you know that. Man, because when we're doing that, when we're 
responsible for our own giftedness, when we invest our lives according to our ability, that's a good thing. Maybe you can't do everything. Maybe you can't be up here on stage preaching in front of people. That's fine. But you can do one thing. We can all do one thing. We can start there. And that, when we come together, that multiplies our impact. When you do your one thing, and it complements my one thing, and it complements their one thing, and these one things Jesus brings together in a community greater than any of us individually, that feels good. That's something I want to be a part of. So what's your thing? Is it to be on a volunteer team? Is it to lead a small group? Is it to spend time investing in kids? Is it uh, making sure your kids are at church? Is it having a Jesus conversation with a friend? Is it inviting a neighbor to a place where they can meet Jesus? What's your one thing that you can do? What's your one thing? For me, it's starting a new church. It's funny, somebody else asked me, they're like, you know what, Brandon, if you weren't a pastor, what would you do? And I was like, nothing. I have no other marketable skills at all. <laughs> like I have, this is all I can do. This is my one thing. The only thing I can do is get up in front of people and preach, and occasionally it's a good sermon, right? <laughs> That's all I can do. I, I, tend, I like to get people together. That's why I'm speaking about unity and community. That's my one thing. That's all I'm good at. So I'm leaning into that as much as I can. I try to talk a lot and tell jokes and inspire people and challenge people. I think I'm okay at that. I try to bring people together in teams and communities and get people eating together in homes. I, that's my one thing. I'm trying to lean into that. That's my whole life has been characterized by just leaning into that one thing. And God takes that and has used that. And what I am doing now is far beyond my ability. No, 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 no. God has been using me just showing up and doing my one thing. And God's been using that to make a difference. And I think God's going to make a difference in East Nashville with our new church. Man, I know it's kind of a crazy thing we're doing, but I think God's going to make a difference in people's lives. And I don't think it's because of me. No, no, no. I think it's because if we can get together and do our one things together, that God will use that to make a difference in our city. That's what I'm praying for. And that's what I'm doing. So I'm not getting up here and, and asking us to do anything I'm not doing. What would happen in Franklin if, if, if our church community was transformed like that? What would happen in Aspen Grove? What, what I would love if Adam gave me a call in a couple weeks and just said, what did you say to my church? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I have more volunteers than I've ever had in the whole time I've been here, you know? Like, wow, what kind of a difference would that make? Because there's no such thing as a small difference. We had people in the, I remember when my daughter was two, we had people who, I remember having this conversation with someone and they took me up on this and they said, you know what, I'll volunteer. And so they didn't think they can do anything, but they said they can work with the two-year-olds right? Because I was like, why well, I can't work with the teenagers? I'm not cool enough or whatever, I guess. <laughs> you know, you don't have to be cool enough with the teenagers, but can't lead a small group. I can't do that. But I'll work with the two-year-olds, right? And just talk with a babysit the two-year-olds, right? But you know what? They were a part of teaching my daughter Bible memorization. I remember my daughter coming home and like, like two, at two years old, like repeating things back to me that she had learned. And there's no such thing as a small thing. When you, small things done with big love make a big difference if we are faithful. That's a big deal to me. Someone right now, right now, is investing, is spending time with my daughters. 
teaching them God's word, helping to do everything we can to equip them to be the women that God has created them to be. That's a big deal to me, man. That's a big deal to them. My three-year-old might not remember that, but you know what? That's going to shape her path just a little bit. That's a big deal. What's your one thing? I invite you to be a part of this community like never before. I encourage you to step up and to, 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 to be a person of action. I invite you, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then start there. That's your one thing. That's your first step. But if you have, if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you believe that, you've been baptized in that, you said Jesus is my king, well then follow your king into battle then. Put on the armor of, the, of Christ and follow your kingdom in battle. Let's link arms together and see what difference we can make in each other's lives. See what difference we can make in, in, in Franklin, in Nashville. See what difference we can make in our own lives. See what God does with that. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for inviting us to be a part of your kingdom. Lord, you have started this thing 2,000 years ago, this, this thing that has changed the, the world, this, this, this organization like this planet has never seen, and you invite us to be a part of that. You invite us to be active members of that. You invite us to benefit from it and to help others to benefit from it. Lord, that's, you're inviting us to do kingdom work? God, we are so honored. We are so honored to have the privilege of, of doing the kingdom work that you are calling us to. We are so honored to have the privilege of having a call to action from you. Lord, please help us to step up Help us to step up. Help us to step over our fear. Even if the fear doesn't go away or the discomfort, help us to be willing to get out of our comfort zone and to do something that makes a difference. Lord, help us to start new things. Help us to support new things. Help us to show up. Help us to, to just be faithful with whatever gifts we have. And Lord, reveal that to us. What is it that we should do? Lord, reveal to us. Lord, help us to, to know that. Just put it right in front of our face and say, this is what we're good at. This is what we need to do. And Lord, empower us by your Holy Spirit to do that. Lord, we just pray a special blessing for Adam also. As he returns back, I just pray that he will return to a community that loves him and welcomes him. And I pray that he will come back just energized and empowered like never before. Lord, I pray for Aspen Grove. I just pray a special blessing on this church, that you will bless all of the people here and that you will use these people to bless all of the people around this area. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.